This morning, we want to begin a three-part series uh, where we intend to focus on the necessity of being intentional with the gospel. Intentional in our family, which is what we'll talk about this morning, but not only in our family, but in our church, and literally, ultimately, in our community and around the world. I want to ask you a question this morning, and it may seem very obvious to some of you, and yet I'm confident that there are some of you that are here today, that if you're honest, the answer would not be as obvious, and that is this simple question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? You know, I'm convicted on a regular basis that we talk a lot in our churches, in our evangelical churches, all across the country and the globe, we talk about the gospel and we talk about the necessity of the gospel and we tell you that we're thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And yet, as I've thought about it this week, I wonder how many of us, if we're really honest, you're not even actually sure what that word means, what the gospel actually is. It simply means this. It simply means good news. Now, if you just said good news, you'd go, well, I get lots of good news. I mean, good news for me would be if my wife said to me after the service, let's go to Lost Trace for lunch. I mean, that would be awesome news. Is that the gospel? Well, it's not just any good news. In October, we're going to begin a study in the book of Galatians. We're going to take you through the book of Galatians verse by verse. And I'm excited to lead you through that study and that short letter written by Paul. But I want to give you just a little bit of a sneak preview this morning. These things have been fresh on my mind. I've started my reading actually this week for our study in the book of Galatians. And I came across these verses in Galatians right at the beginning of Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn here real quick. You might want to start getting that that place kind of uh, warmed up there in your Bible anyway. Galatians chapter 1. And I just want to read verses 3 to 5, which Paul wrote this. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Well, that's the gospel really in summary right there. That's it. God gave his son Jesus to rescue us. I love that phrase. It's not found very often, in fact, in the New Testament, but what a great phrase that, that, that God came and he rescued us. Think about other founders of world religions that have come to simply teach. And Jesus was a great teacher. We know that from the Gospels. We know that from reading through things such as the Sermon on the Mount. He was a great teacher, but he was more than that. He came to rescue us. Don't you love that? Rescue us. Now, most people believe that a Christian is someone who simply follows the teachings of Jesus and they follow his example. But Paul implies here that it's really not that simple. You see, you don't rescue people unless they're lost, unless they're in a state, a condition in which they need help, right? Tim Keller, in fact, illustrates it this way. If you see a person drowning, he said you don't throw them a manual on how to swim, right? You ever been to a lake and seen somebody going out and you're going, "Uh, just a second, I've got something in my bag. You don't throw them a manual on how to swim. You don't offer, hey, if you make it back to the shore, I'll give you swim lessons because you should have had swim lessons when you were a child. No, you don't do that. What do you do? You throw them a rope. And so you see, Jesus is much more than a teacher. He is a rescuer. 
Our condition is serious, in fact. We can't swim. We're drowning and we can't save ourselves. We need a rescuer. And and at just the right time, Scripture says, God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue us. And so look what Paul says that Jesus did in those verses. He he gave himself. Now, those of you that are familiar with with the story, you understand that he he gave himself by sacrificing himself on on a Roman cross as a substitute for us. And get this, and we're going to talk about this a lot more when we dive into the book of Galatians, but he did not do this just to give us a second chance to get it right. See, some of us think that. Well, somehow we, we, we screwed it up, so God's now going to give us a second chance to get it right. He rescued us once and for all. You don't need to keep trusting in Christ as your Savior. You don't need to ask him to keep rescuing you. He rescued us once for all. That's why Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans in in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. When he becomes our Savior, we are free. We have no debt. He has rescued us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, come on now. That, That is the gospel. Keller goes on to say this. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for themselves. So we find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive. Whether they're religious, by that we mean keep those rules and you'll earn an eternal blessing. Or they are secular, which says grab hold of these things and you'll experience blessing now. He said the gospel comes and turns all those things upside down. It says you're in such a hopeless position that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says, God in Jesus provides a rescue which gives you far more than any false salvation your heart may love to chase. (laughs) That's awesome. That's the message of the true gospel. We are brought lower and raised higher than we could ever, ever, ever imagine. And that's why verse 5 says, and we just sung about it, the glory goes to our God and Father forever and ever. That is why we gather in this place this morning. That is what it's all about. That is the gospel, as simple as you will find it in Scripture, right there in Galatians chapter 1. That's why we're here this morning. Now, I want to pause just for a moment right at the beginning of this three-week series, and I want, I want you to let that sink in. After a busy weekend, and some of you stayed up too late last night, you were on Netflix, you were surfing around, you were watching things, and you didn't quite grasp that, but that, my friends, that is good news. That's good news. That you needed to be rescued. I needed to be rescued. It is as if you were out there at Jordan Lake and your hands were going, save me, save me, save me. And that lifeline was thrown to you. And as a result of that, everything has radically changed. Your eternal destiny has changed. The sting of death is gone because you know that eternity is secure. That is radical. That is life-changing. Now, I want to make sure you also understand that We want you to be intentional with the gospel, and so you understand what gospel is. But some of us, I think, don't understand that English word, intentional. To be intentional is to do something with purpose or to be deliberate. We want to challenge you in this short series to consider these statements. Follow along with me. If we believe that every person on this planet is born separated from God because of sin, but was created to have a relationship with him, Number two, if we believe that the gospel I just described is truly radical, okay? 
you believe it's truly radical, like that is the most awesome thing that you've ever heard. It's better than if your wife said, let's go to Lost Trace, even if she doesn't like Lost Trace. It's much better than that. It's better than the fact that your team is about ready to hit the field here in a few weeks and you're really excited about it because you think that NC State's going to have a winning season. It's, it's better. And if you think that, well, it's better than that. It's radical and it can change and transform lives. If you believe that, and thirdly, if you believe that the reason God leaves us on this planet instead of immediately taking us where he is after we come to faith in Jesus is to influence others with this life-changing message, if you accept all three of those statements, if you believe all of those things to be true, then here is my huge question for you this morning. What are you doing to intentionally, deliberately, purposefully involving your life in the ministry of the gospel. What are you doing? If you believe all those things to be true, if you believe that this message is radical, that it is life-changing, that it is good news, that it has the power to transform and change lives, to put broken marriages back together, to put that person who is addicted to some substance, to get them off of that, to give somebody purpose and meaning in life, if you believe all of those things to be true, then what are you intentionally, deliberately, purposefully doing to influence others with that message? Here's the problem. You've heard it said this way, we don't ever plan to fail, we simply, what? We fail to plan. That's true in many aspects of life, but I would submit to you this morning that there is no area of life that has so much more riding on it than our intentionality with the gospel, and in particular this morning, our intentionality with the gospel in our homes. I've lived in Cary now for almost 18 years. That's a long time. Uh, that's longer, in fact, than I've lived any place my entire life. 18 years I've lived here. This, this is home to me, and, and I love Cary. Diana and I are so thankful to be able to raise our kids here in Cary and in this environment, and we, we feel blessed to live here. And while I love living here, and I have been blessed with that, and I love raising my kids here, there are certain things that concern me, and maybe they do you, about our Cary culture, especially if you're here this morning and you're a parent. I found that it's easy for Diana and I to be intentional about every aspect of our family, every aspect of our parenting, except for those things that ultimately matter the most. Have you ever looked around in your Cary culture, if you've been here any length of time, or if you've been in suburbs that are similar to Cary across this country and asked yourself those, question, those questions, am I involved in things, involved in every aspect of my kids' lives, and yet those very things that ultimately matter the most, for whatever reason, I'm not as intentional about those things? As parents, you've had those days, at least I hope you've had those days, because I have, when you thought, I am a failure as a parent. Anybody have those? Okay, three of you have failed. Other, three of you and I. It's always the same three people. They're, they're always willing to admit and be honest. The rest of you lie. But you've had those days, right? I mean, I'm talking to parents just this weekend where they go, my kid did this. And I'm going, well, my kid did worse than that, so... And then sometimes you go, glad, I'm glad your kid did that because, man, that makes me feel better because mine did this, just a little bit below yours. You, you laugh because you all have these thoughts, right? You have your friends share and they tell you what their kids did and you go, eh, hey, well, you had a really bad kid. You're thinking that in your head. In your mind, you're going, I'll pray for you, right? 
But inside you're going, I'm glad your kid's worse than mine, right? But you've had those days when you go, you know, uh, I'm just a failure as a parent. Our kids don't do well in school. We don't do as well as we think they should do. They try out for a sports team and, you know, we think they're God's gift to the soccer field or to the football field or whatever. And they don't make the team. Or they make the team and we go to game after game after game and coach never puts them in. Or, 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 or other areas of, of life, you know, some of you are in this stage where your kids are applying for college and you're going, God, please let them get into college. Please let them get into a college. And, and they don't get into the college that they should have gotten into and you think, hey, should I, have, should I have pressed them a little bit more to study a little bit harder? Should I have gotten a tutor for them for the ACT or the SAT? You know, maybe they would have done better. Maybe they would have gotten into college and maybe they would have done something with their life. But instead, I have been a failure. Let me ask you this question this morning. What if your kids got the most awesome grades what if your son or your daughter was the, the valedictorian at Panther Creek High School or Apex High School or Cary High School? I mean, they got the best grades and they got into the best colleges. What if on the sports field this fall, your son was the superstar? What if your daughter in the swimming pool, she could swim faster than everybody else or she could run faster around that track or you came into this auditorium, maybe at Panther Creek High School and she sang a solo in a, in a, in a, in a musical production and, and, and what if that happened? What if they went to the best college? What if, what if they got an incredible job making incredible income so that they could take care of you, which is what I pray for my kids, what if they married an incredible person and you had incredible grandkids, but in the end, you realize that you failed to be intentional about the thing that matters most, and that, my friends, is the gospel, the good news. You realize that you come to the very end and you have been successful, according to the culture, at everything in your kid's life except being intentional with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life-changing, radical message of the gospel. Here's a sobering thought for parents in Cary this morning. Maybe our greatest fear should not be that we would fail with our kids according to our culture's standards, but that we or they would succeed only in the areas of life that ultimately do not matter. I'm going to say that again because I want that to sink in this morning. What if our greatest fear should not be that we would fail with our kids according to our culture's standards, but that we or they would succeed only in the areas of life that ultimately don't matter? Here's what's going to happen. If Jesus tarries and he does not come back for us in a bodily resurrection before our physical body gives out and dies, we all will die, right? There are some of us that are staring death down a hallway right now, and it's close. The doctors told us that. All of us have that sentence. It's appointed unto man, Scripture says, once to die. After that, the judgment. What if in the end you realize that you succeeded at only the things that really don't matter? 
That's why we set aside these three weeks to say, let's be intentional about the things, the thing, the gospel, that really, really matters. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I've asked from the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I've used these verses before, and, and so I, I want to read them and just comment briefly on them, but we, we find, I, I think, the mandate, certainly for Jewish parents, but I think it holds true for us today as well as New Testament saints. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. I love this passage of Scripture. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Verse 8 says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Verses 6 to 9 make it very, very clear that the word was to be made a part of the home, the center of conversation, and the means of instructing the children to love and obey God. That was the most important thing. I wonder what happened. What happened in our Christian culture, in our, in our evangelical churches where we got off that track and we said, no, that's not the most important thing. Instead, the most important thing is that I sit at a track meet for three hours so that I can watch my son run for 45 seconds because he might get a scholarship. That's the most important thing. Really? Now, when I say that, I speak mostly to myself. I, hey, look, I'm the dude that in just a few weeks, I'm going to be running down the sidelines as a 47-year-old ball boy, okay? So I have nothing, nothing at all to, to cast stones at you about, all right? But what if I do all of that, and yet I'm not intentional about making sure that my kids grasp this? Unfortunately, the Jews took the letter of this law rather than the spirit of that. And they ended up making, some of you understand this, phylacteries. Matthew 23, verse 5, refers to these phylacteries, these little boxes containing passages from the law. They wore these boxes on their arms. They wore them on their heads. But somehow, while they had it on their arms and they had it on their heads, it did not quite make it down into their hearts. And I would say this to you this morning, that unless you and I as parents living in this culture we live in, in this beautiful town of Cary, North Carolina, unless we are intentional, unless we have an intentional plan, I fear we are prone to do the same thing. To do nothing more than figuratively wear phylacteries on our arms and on our heads. Our modern day phylacteries are entering into a building like you just did moments ago. We enter in here and we sing songs and we do all of the things that make us appear as if we really buy into this deal. We really buy into this whole gospel thing and yet in the end realize that it didn't quite make it down to our hearts and we never really impacted and influenced our families or our world with the radical life-changing message of the gospel. And so let's make it real practical this morning. How are we to be intentional with the gospel in our families? If there's one thing that I am, it's simple, right? 
I want to give you three things today which you can walk out of here and you can go, okay, I'm going to be intentional with the gospel as Brian described it to me this morning and I believe that it's radical. I believe that it's life-changing. I, I want to I make that part of my home, make it part of my life and I want to be deliberate and purposeful. I want to be intentional in my family with the gospel, okay? These are going to be so easy that I know some of you will write them down but you don't even have to write them down. You can remember them, all right? Number one is that you have to know it. You have to know the gospel. You can't teach what you don't know. Have you ever tried? Some of you are homeschool parents and you've been there, right? <laughs> and you've gone through the book and you're trying to speak with authority on a subject of which you know nothing about. In fact, in your head, you're going, I flunked this. How ironic that I'm sitting here now trying to teach my child this concept or this, uh, this theory and I, and I don't even know it myself. You've been there, all right? Let me tell you, the stakes aren't nearly as high for you to be sitting in a homeschool classroom trying to explain some scientific equation or some physics issue. They aren't nearly, the stakes aren't nearly as high as they are if you don't know and understand this book. If we're going to be intentional with the gospel in our families, it's critical that we be students of the word. That's why Paul told Timothy that he was to study Right away, some of us that just some of us just check out immediately. We go, I'm not interested in that, right? You need studying. I mean, I'll get some by osmosis. Maybe God can do something to me during the night, give me knowledge which I don't currently possess, but I'm not really interested in studying. Paul said, study to show yourself approved. I want to challenge you with this. Moms and dads, all right? By the way, I don't want to let some of you college students, middle school, high school students off the hook either because you have the same responsibility if you're a Christ follower this morning. You have the same responsibility with the gospel, okay? Not just mom and dad. Don't check out and go, hey, talking about mom and dad. Love these kind of messages because it's not about me. No, it is about you. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Don't be satisfied with ignorance or the comfort of knowing that there, there are other people who can articulate the gospel and life principles that are found in God's word. I'm going to say that again, too, because I think some of you didn't get it. Don't be satisfied to be ignorant about the gospel or about biblical principles which we are to live our lives by. And just simply satisfied because there are other people that know that stuff. And so if I expose my kids to those other people, then somehow they'll get it. That's what the gumball thing I think was talking about, right? Don't you dare just bring your kids and throw them in our children's ministry and go, hope they catch something because, man, I've had a rough week. I want a better week next week. I hope they're teaching some principles that they're not grasping at home. Don't drop them off in our student ministry and go, somehow Adam will do something with them. Somehow some youth leader will figure it out. Don't you dare dads come and sit here and go, as long as I get my sons here, Brian will say something and hopefully he'll influence them in the right direction. He'll convince them. Because you're not really interested, by the way, many of you as parents, you're really not interested in your kids being radically changed. right? You just don't want them to be really bad. Let me say that again, too, because you really need to grasp a hold of this. I need to grasp a hold of this. It isn't about your kid just not being really bad. We want them to grasp the radical, life-changing message of the gospel. We want them, as Paul told Timothy, to be convinced of it. Some of us just want a few bucks worth of it. Not enough to really radically mess up our lives, right? 
Not enough where I'd get uncomfortable and I'd say, hey, honey, let's move to Haiti, right? Not that much. I don't want that much gospel. No. You been to Haiti? I mean, I don't want that much. Just give me a little bit. Just a little bit so that I feel all warm and fuzzy, but not too much. Let me tell you this, you'll only read and study what you have a desire or an appetite to know. Isn't that true? You ever seen that as you flip through the TV to your 7,321 channels that you have on Time Warner or Dish or whatever you have, and it keeps your attention because you're, you're just surfing through there until something. I'm interested. I'm interested in how ants mate. Some of you are laughing because you've seen this on one of those, and you're going, never knew that. That's awesome. And you park there for a few minutes, and all of a sudden you're going, eh, not nearly as exciting as I thought it would be. And you go on to the next thing. You will never read and study what you don't have a desire or an appetite to know. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet, not our worship leader Jeremiah, he said this in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words for me became a joy and the delight of my heart. I love that, don't you? I found it, I took them, and I went, oh, this is awesome, this is great. You want to know why many of us don't spend daily or even weekly or some of us even monthly time in the Word? We simply don't desire it. Because if you desired it, you'd do it. You'd go get some of it. I was at Sam's Club on Friday, and and I noticed on my Business Plus membership, whatever, that they had these 10 packs of Oreo cookies. And, you know, sometimes when they do those big packs, they do like uh, the, the regular Oreos. You know, yeah, they're all right. But I'm telling you, if you really, if you know your Oreos, right, some of you do, you're tracking with me right now. It's the double stuff. That's really where it's at. And normally they don't use those big bulk packages for it, right? you got to buy a package in the store, and they're $7.29 now for, you know, a few Oreos. So we only wait till. You know, Harris Teeter has buy one, get seven free or something like that, whatever. They do that. I don't understand the economics of how all that works, but I'm glad when they do do those things. And so it said, you know, in your business plus membership, get two bucks off. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to find those. Have you ever tried to find Oreos in, a, in a, one, of those big box, one of those big warehouse stores? I'm all over the place, and I'm thinking the Oreos should be right here. I mean, if I was, if I was in charge of the store, that's where I'd put the Oreos. That's where they ought to be. And they weren't there. They were on the other side of the store, just in case you want to know. They're by the, the bread and by the, the cookies that they make in the bakery. All that stuff is just right there all together, which is great, because that's really the only part of the store, ultimately, that I even need to be in. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Is somebody with me? And I went there, and I got those pack of Oreos. And you know why? I got them in the car, had the top down on the Miata, and I wasn't like 50 feet out of the Sam's parking lot, and I had one of those little packages. And they're just little packages too, so you don't feel real guilty about eating the whole thing. <laughs> I've had three packs so far. Just wanted to let you know that. I confess that in front of everybody. Here's the point, and you may say, what is the point? The point is, I desired them. As a result of desiring them, I purchased them. As a result of purchasing them when I got in my car, I did what Jeremiah did. They became a joy and delight in my heart. and Fat around my waist all the same time. That's what happened. If that helps you to understand that that really 
is the attitude that you and I have got to have towards the word of God if we are actually going to know these things to give to our kids. Peter said it this way, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that you can grow up. We could preach there for a while, couldn't we? It's time for some of us to really grow up in our faith. And the only way you're going to grow up is not by coming here and listening to us speak for 35 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's not going to happen. You have to crave it. You have to desire it. It'd be great for us if we did what Ezra did. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Not only to study it, but I love this, to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's what we need to do. But you can't teach something that you don't know. So if you're here this morning and you're content to be ignorant, don't be content anymore. This fall, men, jump into our men's ministry, get involved, and start understanding biblical principles so that you can articulate it to your kids. Just a few weeks, two weeks from now, we're going to be starting two services. There are going to be opportunities even for you on the off hour to participate in, in Bible study and things like that. Jump in. You say, I can't come here for two hours. Oh, you know, what would it be like if I came here for two hours? Oh. And I'm thinking, some of you sit around this track out here and you watch kids run around a track. I mean, come on. How exciting can that be? I'm telling you that what's happening here is radical, is life-changing. The only way you can teach something is to know it. Number two, you not only need to know it if you're going to be intentional, but you need to model it. Let me read this to you. Mark Driscoll wrote this in his little booklet, and if you, uh, if you haven't seen it, guys, I, I can link you to a copy of it because it's, just, uh, it's a really great resource it's called Pastor Dad. He wrote this. Lazy moms and dads are disobedient to God but want to have children who are obedient to them. Get that? Lazy moms and dads are disobedient to God, but they want to have children who are obedient to them. Hmm. Such parents may speak good wisdom, but it is overshadowed by the loudness of the foolish hypocrisy in their own lives. You have to know Mark Driscoll to appreciate this statement fully. Proverbs 26.7 stands as a warning to such men, saying, Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Wisdom is not merely what a parent says, but also his lifestyle and the degree of congruence between his words and his actions. Foolish parents say such things as, well, don't do as I do, do as I say. What they mean is, I'm a complete hypocrite, but do what I tell you to do anyways. Proverbs says that these men and women speak with no authority and so their children ignore them or mock them as funny and foolish hypocrites. Tragically, these children often face the most devastating teen years because they have no wise parent to turn to in a culture of folly and themselves fall prey to many sins and pains. Many of you wonder why your kids haven't bought into this because you haven't fully bought into the life-changing radical message of the gospel. You talk about it. You're just like the Jews of old. You wear it as phylacteries around your arms and around your foreheads. But you do not model it. We might say that if we preach what we do not live, we functionally deny the gospel. How do we do that? Parents who talk about sin but live self-righteously. Parents who talk about the selfless love of Jesus, but they themselves live selfishly. Parents who talk about the grace of God but are verbally condemning when they discipline their children. Parents who talk about the forgiveness of God but who live with an angry, unforgiving spirit toward their children, their spouse, or other people. 
Parents who talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, but instead pursue all the trappings of this world to the exclusion of what really matters. That's how we functionally deny the gospel. Maybe as I go through that list, it's a little convicting. I hope so. If it is, you're in good company. Because I wrote that list this week. And I think, well, I went, check, did that, check, did that. We functionally deny the gospel when we behave in a way that's contrary to what comes out of our mouth. But don't just feel bad or guilty about it. You need to do something about it. If the gospel is really good news, if it's really, really radically life-changing, then you have to model it for your family. Have you found that to be true, parents? Have you been in those situations where you've said something and then you, you went, ah, it's not working? Maybe it's because you're not modeling it. So you can't know something, or you can't teach something that you don't know, so you need to know it. If you know it and yet you don't model it, it doesn't work. But then lastly, let me give you this right here. You've got to share it. You've got to share it. The best way I know to be intentional with the gospel in your family is to share it with others in practical ways. Now, some of us think that this means simply inviting people to a church service, or maybe we'd be a little bit more intentional than that. Maybe we would uh, uh, get some gospel tracts and we would pass out the gospel tracts for people to read. And, and don't get me wrong, inviting somebody to come to church and passing out a gospel tract, those are all great things to do. We should do those things. But in our fast-paced culture, it may be difficult, but I believe that it's critical that we make time to do what we say we believe. Did you get that? To do what we say we believe. If this is really radical, if it's really life-changing, if this makes all the difference for a person, not only here in this world, but ultimately in eternity then we have to make time to do what we say we believe. If the gospel has power to radically change lives, then we have to find ways in which to give it away, right? Because you're living next to people, by the way, in your neighborhood who need to understand the radical message of the gospel. You're going to go to work with people tomorrow? <laughs> Some of you already are going, yeah, and I know they need the radical life-changing message of the gospel. They do, but you've got to be willing to give it away. And so let me give you some suggestions. You need to serve other people with your kids. You say, how, con how convenient that you're talking about this in the context of, you know, this serve your city. Oh, well, hey, we're intentional, right? We've got a plan here. What you need to do when you get out there this morning and you see those, those, uh, that big display that they have set up and, you know, one of our high school girls was here early and she was drawing and doing all that stuff because this is a big deal. This is a great opportunity for you to serve with your family, with your kids. Some of you will say, well, we got soccer that weekend and we got... I mean, come on. Come on. Well, you know, my kids got tryouts for two-year-old uh, castle soccer and, you know, you really think he could be the next Pele. I mean, he's really good. We see him take the ball and move it under the coffee table, and things are going really well, and we're thinking he'd get a scholarship. Blah, blah. Now, here's what's funny. Okay, and some of you walk out and go, he's mocking. Here's what's funny. Some of us really believe that. There are going to be a few, but there aren't going to be many. And you're going to get to the point in your life where you're going to understand 
that you succeeded at all the things that don't really matter. I'll tell you what, if you find a place and you say, look, I don't care what you're doing this week, you are going to find a place to serve. Diana and I, we, we, we've already made that commitment. We might not all be able to be because of our schedules and what we're all doing, but everybody in our family is going to be involved in Serve Your City. You say, well, you're the pastor. You get paid to do that, model it, you know. No, no, we're, we're going to do that. It's important. Well, I got football. Well, I don't care if you got football practice. Tell the coach you're serving your city. That's awesome. That'll go really well. Some of you other guys should do that. Coach, we're serving our city. See what he says. You know, if he gives you a hard time, just say, hey, the ball boy told us to. I mean, he said we should serve our city. That's a good opportunity for you. Sign up for it. Don't sign up for it alone. Make it a family affair. Some of you could serve on a setup team. Some of you need to serve on a setup team. Some of you dads, your high school son's doing nothing but snoring on Sunday morning. You could go get him out of the bed, get his lazy tail out there, throw him in the car, and say, you're going to come help set up. Right, Greg's story? That's what you can do. All right, I saw Greg, Gregory, they were here this morning. I'm sure Greg didn't get up and just go, hey, Dad, let's go serve. But you told him that's what we're going to do, right? That's what you told him, right? That's what happened. Yeah. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go serve. Now, it's going to talk about this. We're going to go and we're going to serve. You can be involved in children's ministry. Some of you could go and you could help over there and you could have your, your kid right beside you and you could do something together. You could go feed homeless people in Durham and Raleigh. Do you understand, carry people? There are homeless people. Do you get that? There's people that won't eat this afternoon down in Durham and Raleigh, and some of you could just go and buy a bunch of stuff and just take it down there and go, just want to bless you in Jesus' name. And your kids go, wow, I've never seen you do that before. You could model it. And you do it in Jesus' name and for his fame and not for your glory. Maybe you're like me, and I find myself sometimes just getting in the car after I do something like that and going, oh, pretty good. feel pretty good about myself. Eh, cancel that out, right? I don't do it for my fame or for my glory. I do it for his fame, for his name, for his glory. You can give to the mission of the gospel with them. Your kids know that you care about the gospel because they know that you give of your resources that God's entrusted to you. Do your kids know? I talk about that with my kids. I don't tell them exactly how much and everything, but they know that we're supporting missionaries. They know we give to Northwest. They know, based on my checkbook, that we care about the gospel. We model that. You can love other people with them. Many people walked in these doors this morning that are hurting. Do they ever see you love people in Jesus' name for the sake of the gospel? Does that ever happen? You can pray with other people with them. Do they ever see you doing that? Do they ever catch you doing that? Modeling? Just the basic fundamentals of the gospel. I was listening to a preacher this week. I listen to many every week. I love, I love preaching. This guy said this. I didn't get anything out of anything else that he said, which is kind of discouraging when I think that's probably what people do with me too. But I did get one line. I got one line, and I, and I loved it, and I want to close with this this morning as I read these verses of Scripture, and we'll close. He said this. The decisions you make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow. And I went, wow, that's really true, isn't it? The decisions that you and I are making today will determine the stories that we're able to tell tomorrow, whether those are really awesome, great stories, 
or whether they're stories of regret and tragedy because you and I succeeded at all of the things that ultimately, in the end, didn't really matter. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 1 of his letter, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the great privilege that I have to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I get paid to do it. That's just awesome. Don't understand why, but that's just awesome. God, I want so much the people in this community of faith here at Northwest to buy into the idea that we need to be intentional with this good news, this radical message of the gospel. Because we were lost, we were flailing our arms, drowning, and at just the right time, that rescue rope came. His name was Jesus, and everything changed. Because we are now no longer under condemnation, but we live free because of who we are in Christ. We no longer have to fear tomorrow. We don't have to fear eternity. We don't have to fear death because we know that our sin debt has been paid. We enjoy a relationship with the creator of the universe that we were created to have and to enjoy. God, may we be so convinced of the message of the gospel that we are intentional, we are deliberate, we are purposeful in how we communicate and live out the gospel in our homes with our kids, with our families. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.